Hello, and welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Joining me this week to look back on Saturday's 2-2 draw at home to Wraith Rovers is Rhys Haldane. Rhys, are you doing well? I am good, thanks Matt. Uh, as always, looking forward to discussing the Jags and it's always a wee bit more exciting when, when the league action starts, so it uh, should be a good one. As we've got plenty to talk about. Fresh off a week as hosting the podcast, Heather Holloway is here. Heather, you did a fantastic job last week. How are you feeling being back as a as a panelist? I was going to comment. I actually felt like your hello was a little bit more enthusiastic than usual. And I was wondering if I was rubbing off on you, but um, very inspiring, Matt. No, thank you for letting me do it. And I, it was an honour to fill your shoes just for a short time. But yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Excited to be back and not have to try and control David. So uh, I'm giving that back to you. Well, I hope you didn't like it too much. So there's not anyone coming for my job. Uh, rounding off our panel is David Forrest. David, on last week's episode, you commented on how good it was to have a competent host before you, as editor, played music over said host talking about the Thistle Open. Did you have anything to say for yourself? I'm just, I'm just happy to have uh, our regular host back. It just, what well, it just didn't feel right uh, without you, Matt. So thank you. It, no offense to Hera. Hera was fantastic as a host, but you know. This, this is Matt Gear country, so, you know. <laughs> right, we'll move on then. Uh, starting 11, we'll start with the starting 11, as we always do. Good to see Jack McMillan back in at right back, um, especially with Xander McKenzie missing from the squad. And Kerr McEnroy also come in for a debut after signing earlier in the week. Lewis Nielsen also come onto the bench. He signed earlier in the week too. We'll talk about those signings a bit later on. Reese, were you happy with the starting 11 when you saw it on Saturday? 100%. As soon as I seen it, I was pleased. You almost know that McEnroy was going to come in for a start. He was the one that, the one signing that you know is basically guaranteed to start every week. I think he's a, a smashing player. And then obviously McMillan coming back, which was a huge boost. When I did see McMillan there, part of me was thinking mm, we might have rushed him a wee bit. You know McMillan's naturally a fit player. Um, you always hear people saying how fit he is. and You see from the sort of lifestyle that he lives, that he keeps himself in good nick. So... But I still had hesitation. I remember saying to one of my mates before the game starts, I was like, what's the odds on five minutes and McMillan blowing up? Just we've rushed him back and shows you what I know five minutes in. He's put the ball in the back of the net. So it's brilliant. He's picked up where he left off um, at the end of last season. And I, um, no other complaints with the team, really. I was happy. Heather, do you share Reese's positivity about the starting 11 and the, the team sheet? Definitely, especially the way that Jack McMillan played last season and the immediate impact that he had on the game on Saturday it just showed how much we had missed him and the way that the and the team just felt more complete with him in it I did think it was a bit of a shame for some of the young boys maybe not to be um, included in the starting 11 but I do understand that there is a big difference between the league and the cup and I'm sure we'll go and talk about that later but yeah it was it was just good to be back at Fair Hill exciting to have our new signings in and about the team and you know I think we were all just buzzing to see just what uh season starting off of Chris Dillon would just would be like. David do you think we should sign somebody from the MLS so we stop trying to fit in players to the, the tune of American boy? Yeah I was I was very disappointed about Connor McAvoy really being rubbed out of the history books um, on Saturday like it's a very good tune but I mean like first of all we didn't sign 
these players on loan from Fulham and deadline day. Like it, it, it just doesn't work as well. There's too many covers trying to beat the original. And it's not happening. I mean, we missed our chance. So was Adam Cervantes? Was he not American? He could have had it, but then again, you know, he, he was there for a week. But no, definitely, um, we need to stop trying to steal Conor McAvoy's chant for people. I'd like to issue a formal apology for just doing something I absolutely hate and calling it the MLS. Um, that's that's a week of rustiness shown there. I apologise to, to everyone who had to had to hear that. Um, Reese, what did you make of the performance on Saturday? Do you think 2-2 was a fair scoreline despite the, sort of, the cruel nature of it in the end? Um, I and no. Uh, reason being, I think Rafe had a a right good amount of chances in the first half, and and even at now now before we got our early goal, they kind of battered us for the first five minutes. Um, I mean they had plenty of chances, and you heard everyone saying it could have been five two if I saw half time. Um, so it's not to say Rafe didn't have chances, but because let's be honest, they should have been on the score sheet in the first half. But when we did get the goal, I think we did pass up a few. Obviously, um. Our goal, and then Connor, uh, Ken McEnroy had a couple himself on the day. He could end up having a hat trick if his finishing was a wee bit better. But I, we should have probably been a, a bit more comfortable at half time. But going in at half time, two 0 up, going into the last ten minutes, two 0 up, we should be seeing that game out. Um, so I, I feel it's definitely two points dropped. But at the end of the day, Rafe did have a lot of chances. But there's no way you should be chucking it from two 0 with ten minutes to go. But just touching on the goals that Rafe scored, it's like that first goal that they scored, I've seen it from Rafe TV highlights on YouTube as well. I've seen it at the time, but I didn't realise how bad it was. But it's going miles wide and, and Harry Milne flicks it past Mitchell. See, every single week, I think we can see the exact same goal where one of our defenders will flick it past Mitchell. Like every single week. And I, I couldn't tell you a team that I see that more often. And it's not that, not that you're saying it was a, a massive own goal, but it's flicked past the keeper every time that diverts sort of the way the ball's going. So I um I think we're unlucky and as soon as that happens, you know the you know what we're like, we'll wobble. Um and ultimately they get a goal. Having watched it back on the replay as well, the boy Kieran Mitchell's in about twenty yards of space. There's nobody near him. We've got three centre half playing at, at this point and there's nobody around him. Um but I think ultimately the, the decision, the points dropped, it lies on Doolan's door. Um, and that's not that's not me coming for Doolan, because um, I think he's a, an absolutely terrific manager. We've lost two games in 24, but he is still learning. Um, but he, he, he came out and took full accountability for it himself on his Jackson interview. He changed the shape, he changed the personnel. Um, I thought it was quite weird bringing on Nielsen and then moving Wasiri to a right back, because Wasiri's had a shaky start to life at Thistle, and I thought he was playing well. He was playing fine at the weekend. Um, and you bring on Nielsen, who is a centre-half, but he's played quite a lot of his career as a right-back through Hearts and Dundee United. So to shift with Siri, who was having a, a fine game, to put him out to right-back, it just made it uncomfortable for him. Um, and both their goals came down that flank. So it was high. I just think some of the subs that we brought on, like uh, Doolan being a striker as well, it makes you think, like, what would Doolan as a striker want to happen in that situation? He's like, I'll fling on two strikers, we'll give them both a chance. Maybe because Anton Dowd was doing well in training. I've seen the training video they put out on Friday and a lot of it was heavily Dowd-centric. There was a lot of Dowd's highlights in the clip. So maybe he had a good week in training and he deserved to come on. But it felt like a, quite a daft substitution at the time and, and it ended up turning out that way. But all in all, it was really disappointing. It felt like a loss. One day once you walk away and you think you've got beat, but a point on the opening day against a lot of people I think they're going to be one of the favourites it's not the worst in the world but just disappointing the way it came about 
Heather, I'll we'll talk about some positive things before we go back to talk more about dueling subs. Who impressed you on, on Saturday? Who were the standout performers in, in red and yellow? Just before we go on to that, I have to say, Reese saying he had a good week in training just gave me such Gary Caldwell flashbacks. <laughs> and we could all, I'm sure we all remember those videos when he used to always talk about that before we went out and got beat. So thank you, Reese, for, for triggering that today. Happy Monday to you too. Um, so yeah, great things. I will. I think we talked about the fact that Kerr McEnroy was he was uh, he was really good. I thought he looked hungry um, and wanting to be involved in everything. The play going forward was. Um, I think a lot of that came from him. A lot of us have spoken about it online and everywhere. The fact that Jack McMillan and Stevie Lawless were back together. It just it's a dream partnership. There's, I think we must be one of the best. Um, that must be like one of the best in the league, really, like that combination. And they just tore, they tore the rave side apart. The poor guy was, um, you know, ex- going everywhere. His limbs couldn't even function. He was just like tangled up by the, what they were doing. I also thought um, Harry Milne had a good game. Obviously, we talked about the about the um, the own goal, but. I did think that I think obviously he really hadn't had some one of his best games in the cup and we had acknowledged that. So I think it's important to, to say that that I could see there was a massive improvement there. Um, and I also thought Williamson as well, you could see a lot um, of creativity. I think we're going to be a really exciting team to watch. You just worry about um, the defensive mindedness of, of our team at times. I just think that bar Aaron Muirhead, we are extremely attacking and it's almost that idea of like we'll just score more than the other team. Uh, so that is something to worry about. But I think Stevie Lawless and um, and Jack McMillan was a, was a definite highlight. So I think it was, I, I mean, I haven't mentioned him, but I think Fitzpatrick got the man of the match on Saturday. And I, I mean, he... I thought he literally fit. I know, I think last season we spoke a few times about the fact that sometimes he didn't look as... I don't know, energetic or like to kind of die away in games or like not have as much impact as we thought he could. I thought definitely he looked great on Saturday and was getting past players and um, and putting in some really good crosses. I wasn't worried by the lack of things that we created. I think as Reese said, it could have been 5-2 at halftime. It was the fact that it was good that we hadn't conceded in the first half, but it was I just felt, and it's a classic Thistle thing, there was chances that we had that we didn't take. And you just know in the last, you know, from the 75th minute on, are we going to regret that chance that we missed in the 30th minute? David, I agree with Heather. I think Milne and McMillan, like, they offer so much from fullback. And I know you are a, a game show quiz show enthusiast like myself. So I'm going to ask you a deal or no deal type scenario. You can get Turner, Tiffany, Holt and Doherty all back, but you have to get rid of Milne and McMillan. Do you take the deal? Oh, do you know something? I spent a lot of my week watching Deal or No Deal streams, um, so this is very timely. Um, oh, it's really tough. I mean, I, McMillan and Lawless together are so good, and, and Milne as well is incredible. I, I'd probably keep, I, I think I seem to remember when everything happened with Tiff, Doc and Holt leaving that I was kind of like, OK, but are we keeping Milne and McMillan? Because I feel that they are the real crux of our team and they, they do so much for us. 
I thought that I thought and Lawless are really really good on Saturday, and I was I was going to say actually obviously the loss of Tiff. I mean we all loved what Tiff brought to us and the sort of the glint you got in your eye watching him because it was it was so exciting and he was the, he was a guy that you paid to watch. You know when you go you got your money from Scott Tiffany, Stevie Lawless on Saturday was the closest that anyone's got since Tiffany has left to that. There was some of the stuff he was doing was unbelievable and it wasn't even just you know on the ball stuff it was off the ball there was one chance where it was like a it was like an innocuous clearance or a crossover to the left back and Lawless is maybe say four or five steps away he's not like in close contact or anything like that but he's like he's in his general periphery but he's not like bearing down on him but the way that he carried himself the left back panicked him was like oh my god right he's right next to me and he forced him into heading it on and it headed all up and came down. Lawless just caught it with a touch, pulled it, and then turned it round past the left back. And I think for a lot of players in his position, they don't show that sort of aggression and physical sort of presence that Lawless did there, which is funny considering that Lawless is actually quite a small player. But he'd absolutely rattled the left back before the ball had even came to him in a fairly, not saying safe, but it wasn't a dangerous situation. He just had to control the ball. But Lawless just absolutely frazzled him and took the ball. And I think that that, that was one of the best pieces of one best moves I've seen for him to get by that man. And that, that was brilliant. So I think if you get Fitzpatrick and I said, I would probably keep Milne and McMillan because I think they are so good and they are so vital to the, you know, Lawless and Fitzpatrick that, yeah, I'd probably keep Milne and McMillan. No deal, no. <laughs> Thanks, David. Um, yeah, I, I thought we put some really good stuff, but we were also like very open. I thought at half time it could have been three three. I know I sound like Ian McCall with exaggerated scorelines. It could have been three three at half time. Wraith did create chances. I didn't. I thought we were the better team in the first half, but Wraith still did create. And then they ended up obviously getting their goals in the second half. I was impressed by Kerr McEnroy. I know he missed a couple of chances. I don't know if it was just the number seven on his back, but he reminded me a little bit of John McGinn. I think he's a good technical player, but he's not outstanding. But his energy and enthusiasm are getting him into enough positions where I think his his good technical ability will make him a very effective player. He uses his body really well. And just on the the subs, I had a I had a sort of small pop at Chris Dolan for the, the subs straight after the equaliser on Dingwall. And I think that was really one of the first mistakes he made. I'm not sure this was 100% Chris Dolan's fault. I can see the logic of bringing two strikers on, I think, to hold the ball up, get us up the pitch make Wraith sort of look over their shoulder. And in the end, Dowds, I think he was lively. I think he needs a goal. I think he was very unlucky at Tannadice that his goal was ruled out for offside. Adeloy's can run look lively as well. He's he's forced uh, Dubrovsky and the Wraith goal into a really good save, I think, when it was 2-1. I think narrowing the midfield up might have worked if Jack McMillan was still the right-back. I think the problem there was Waziri was at right-back and I think there's maybe a question mark over whether Nielsen should have gone to right back or Waziri, but that's probably a, a coin flip and it's just unlucky. But I think the narrow midfield with, with Alston and, and McEnroy um, and there with Bannigan, to force Wraith out wide was probably a sound tactic if McMillan was on the field. And obviously that's out of Dylan's hands. Where I would probably give Dylan a bit of stick is I thought Lyon and Stanway in the League Cup groups did, did more than enough to sort of be right there in contention for a start and to, for them not to get any minutes at the, at the expense of Alston especially, who's not really done much, I think was disappointing. So that's where I'd maybe criticise Dylan, but I don't think it was 100% his fault. I know he's take, come out and held his hands up and that's really good because that deflects from the players, that takes the pressure off the players. 
But I think it's a, it's a combination of, you know, a bit of luck with, with the Milne deflection. McMillan's injury, I think, was really the key one. I think if Jack McMillan stays in the pitch for 90 minutes, he'll win that game pretty comfortably. And Doolin, a little bit to blame with the subs, but I think there was maybe a little bit of an overreaction towards towards Doolin's subs on Saturday. I don't think it was it was all, all him. And we look back at Doolin's tenure as well, and that's only really his, his second or third questionable decision. He is exceeding all the expectations when he got the job back in back in February, March time. He's exceeding all the expectations. And for him, I think he's I think the criticism is also he's a victim of his own success because he's done so well. And some of the football we were playing in the first half, that's that's Doolin's footprint on that team. So I'm I'm gonna give him a pass. I know he's come out and held his hand up, but I'm gonna give him a pass because I think there was a combination of things, subs possibly included, but it wasn't just 100% Dylan's fault. Recently, you've had your hand up for a while. Do you want to come back in? Yeah, I just I, I completely agree with just about everything you say there, Matt. I think you're, you're absolutely spot on. Um, yeah, I put my hand up when you mentioned McEnroy, but just before we, um, just about McEnroy, like, I noticed that in the game as well. I've, I'd seen McEnroy play in the past before, and it always stood out how much a, a good left foot he had, and he was really technically good. But, what I noticed at the weekend there, like you say, he uses his body so well. And I noticed it maybe about five times whenever we had a throw and he would take the throw and he wouldn't touch the ball. He just let it run across him. And it, as you say, John McGinn, he, had, he used his arse to hold off the defender and he was opening up and brought the ball on his left side every time, which opened up to have a shot. So see when a player without touching the ball can like dictate where the ball is going, it's such a, a good asset to have, especially when you know that he's got an absolute wand of a left foot. So... I'd keep an eye on that this season and um, when he just opens up and he'll have a pop at goal so I was really happy with that as you say with Dylan as well see see when McCall got sacked after, after Ibrox and of course some people had question marks and what see if someone said to you like if I saw going to bring in a replacement and he'll lose two of his next 24 games you'd have you'd have laughed in their face because you're thinking who are you going to bring in that's going to lose two out of 24 Pep Guardiola or something with this Fissel team and Dylan's went and done that albeit there's probably what, a good few too many draws at the end of the day, that is statistically factual. So it's, it is a wee bit of an overreaction, but it was just it's a bit of naivety from Dylan, and he's learning. He's a he's a young manager who's got off to a brilliant start, and that's hopefully it's a it's a good learning curve and it will stand him in, in good stead. It's the first day of the season, and like you said, just just to be a wee bit more pernickety as well, the same sort of thing. I did think the Austin substitution was a bit daft when you've got. Ben Stanley there. I feel like it was just a case of you've brought this guy in, he's probably on a bit of a better wage than these other players. Get him on, get him a few minutes, he's a bit experienced, but I just don't feel like he really done anything. I, I can only remember him touching the ball once when he came on the weekend. That being said, um, I, I agree with everything you say. David, do you like, man? I, I agree with what Ray said about sort of being you know, tactical naivety from Doolan. Well, let's be honest, he has, yes, he's lost two and 24, but he has also managed 24 games of football in his entire career. I don't think we should have been so so blind to think that Dylan isn't going to come up against these sort of challenges where he makes a wrong decision that kind of costs his games and stuff like that. Um, but it was refreshing to see him hold his hands up and say, I made a mistake and is learning from it. I mean, with like Caldwell and and McCall and stuff like that, where they would make tactical mistakes and you'd be like, what is going on there? And, you know, you just wouldn't understand it. And then they'd make the same mistakes later on. It would cost us again. It's nice to see Dolan actually putting his hands up and going, yeah, I made a mistake. And no, I won't do that again. Um, Because, yeah, I think the, the way that we changed 
really, really stifled us. And it's good to see him acknowledging that and taking it on board. I think the naivety you speak about, David, is it's like innocent naivety. And I think we saw it a lot in the in the running at the end of last season in the playoffs. We were five, six goals up against Air and we were flinging like Mullen on. There was no sort of indication of shutting up shop. It was the same in the Queen's Park game. It was probably the same in the, the Ross County game as well. Maybe it cost us against Ross County. But Heather, I'll come to you because Ross Alexander's asked, is it time to change tack and try to defend leads? Should we become more sturdy? Should we sub more defenders, more midfielders on and try and suffocate teams when when we are in front? Or would you like to see sort of Dylan continue with this sort of, we'll go and score three or four um, mentality and maybe we will get caught out like we did on Saturday, but on the other hand, maybe we'll we'll score five and six in some games. Yeah, I think something that is important to remember is that we used to complain quite a lot that McCall didn't change things. And we'd sometimes say that McCall's subs either came too late. So while it was frustrating on Saturday and it was something that really changed the game, you know, maybe didn't agree with it, but he did do something. And we've had managers in the past who haven't done anything and it's and it's folded anyway. So at least he kind of had that. But I also think that maybe this needed to happen for him to go and trust the young ones to give them a shot. I think it's really hard because... As you say, Matt, we've come from playoff football where we were playing of such freedom and we had such a natural link up. The the people that we had on the pitch were such attack-minded footballers. Of course, we're going to go and score goals. I do think as much as Harry Millen and Jack McMillan are good defenders, one of the reasons why they are um, so highly thought of is the fact that they can attack. And I just don't know if we have the the capacity to become this defensive-minded football uh, football team. Um, I, I know from talking to a few like uh, Kilmarnock fans, a lot of them said about um, Kerr, um, Kerr was the fact that he, as much as he's great going forward in his recent, he's really exciting, he maybe wasn't the best at tracking back for them. And that's maybe one of the reasons that they think he didn't get as much time at Kelly as he would have liked or they would have liked. So I do think it would be quite, a change for us and I don't even know if we've got you know another defense a really defensive minded midfielder to come in and support Bannigan in that role we miss someone to just go and and like break up the play there was a few times on Saturday where Alston especially got I think because he was I, I felt like he didn't have enough minutes in him to then come up to that speed in the game and he got, you know, ran past quite a lot. I just felt like there was a few times where a wee tactical shove and a push or a pullback or something would have been better than letting them have such a free reign and be so open. Uh, that That's what I feel. I th- I agree with a lot of what you said, Heather. I think especially on Austin and David, I'm going to ask you about Austin over, you know, Stanway and Lyon in a minute. I think just the makeup of the squad as well, I think it's quite hard to to become a sort of defensive and low block, to use a sort of wanky tactical term, team, if you don't have that much pace in it, I think Aidan Fitzpatrick's the only player in an attacking position with a lot of pace, and you really need like at least two, ideally three, quick players to, to sit in and then counter quickly on teams, because if you if you don't have that, the ball's just going to keep coming back at you. I don't think Graham's got it. Graham and Lawless are the type of players that need to play in a sort of possession team when we've got the ball high up the pitch, or, or they become ineffective to do that. I think we'll need to sign like one or two quick attackers. Maybe Adeloy's the guy 
Uh, maybe Dowd, if he gets a bit of confidence, might be the guy. I'd say that's more doubtful, but I'd say we need to add a, a speedy player if that's going to be a tactic. Um, David, Alan McMillan has asked why none of the young players got minutes, and I think that's quite an interesting question because Stanway and Lyon really did impress in the in the League Cup. Do you expect either of them to come in against Airdrie on Saturday? Um, it is a bit of a tough one because, yeah, I mean, Stanway, Lyon and Mackenzie, I think it's fair to say, all overperformed in the League Cup. Um, you know, Mackenzie got man in a match against Dundee United. Lyon got a couple of goals. Stanway was getting plaudits for his, his performances in pretty much all of the games. Um, they've been a real bright spot. But at the, at, by the same token, you know, the League Cups are there for the experimentation. You know, we've, we've how many years have we done the two games for one keeper, two games for the other? Chucking stuff about to see what works. It is a bit telling, though. It's the first game of the season at Fahill, and um, they're not there. But I don't know. I, ha- I have faith in Dylan where he will get them game time. I don't think it's going to be the sort of usual fate of you'll play five Glasgow Cup games and then get loaned out to um, you know St Cuthbert's Wanderers or whatever. I think they will. They have a they have a role to play. Um, it's just it's a bit odd that it wasn't in the first game. But again, from what Dylan said about the game, you know he's, he's learned lessons and stuff like that. Maybe they'll factor into that. But I was surprised that they didn't start. Every uh, we've already spoken about Kevin McEnroy, Lewis Nielsen also came in on loan from Hearts this week. What did you make of those signings? And do you think we need to to sign any more positions? And and if so, where? Yeah, I think it was. Um quite a really good week of business for us obviously we've been kind of waxing lyrical about McEnroy already so I, that kind of covers him I was really pleased about that and we'd, we'd kind of been expecting it the past the whole week really whereas Lewis Nielsen kind of the, the rumours of that just came about maybe an hour or two before it happened and that I think that's a really good bit of business as well because obviously we're like to other sort of players who could maybe play right back you know are going to come in and just fill a, a, a place like Kieran and Gwenya who would obviously be a, a second choice behind McMillan so I think Dylan's probably thought right we don't really want to waste a loan on a guy who's not going to play every week. So I think Lewis Nielsen's a guy who could start for us. I mean, he started he started Premier League games for Dundee United and, and Hearts in the past. So um, I actually remember him from the, the year we won League One. Um, I think he played in the game at Fahal. We won against Falkirk 5-0. I'm sure he was, he was on loan at Falkirk at that point. So I think he's a good player and he has got a bit of decent experience behind him for his age. And he's an absolute man-mountain of a guy. <laughs> when he came on, he, looked, he made with Syria and... Uh, Adam Muirhead looked like like tiny. He's, he's built like a side of house. Doesn't really look like a, a football player's builds. And, and for being that young, you, you can only imagine he's absolutely solid. So I think he's a he's a right good prospect. I mean, is he 18, 19 still? Uh, maybe 20 now, I'm not sure. But he is. So he's got a lot of a lot of learning to do. And you see all the sort of reviews that Hearts fans give him. They say he's, he's good on the ball, he's quick. And he, he likes to go forward with the ball. But the only thing is he might not have that aggression. Um Maybe he's not great sort of with the aerial duels as much. So that's the thing that he can they can learn with a guy like Muirhead beside him. So I think that's a good addition as well. Where do we still need to add? I probably would say another defender. And we mentioned on the pod a couple of weeks now, um, and David blurred uh, out when I mentioned Charlie Mulgrew. So I think it's kind of public knowledge now that Mulgrew had been in training with us. And I don't know, it might, it might be announced by the time this podcast come out, but I do actually think that that would be a good addition for us. I, a bit of a, an older head in there. I know obviously things didn't end too rosy at Dundee United, but you need to remember it was him and Nielsen playing at the back that got Dundee United in Europe in the first place 12 months prior. So he's not exactly a guy who's dead and buried. He, he would still do a job at this level and a, a, a good leader um, with a lot of bags of experience. So 
He's one I would take. I still think we definitely need another winger. We, we lack pace bar Fitzpatrick, as you mentioned. Other than that, you're probably a guy who could fill a few positions. And personally, I would like another striker. I, I, I'm really not the type of guy to sit and slaughter players, but I just don't think that Anton Dowd is, is, is good enough for Partick Fisco anymore. So if, there, if there's an option that comes about where we can maybe get another striker in, I'd maybe look at moving Dowd's on, whether that be sending him out on loan somewhere, uh, maybe freeing up for someone else to come in and play up front. Um, with Adeline Graham, I don't know, but that is that is really stretching at that point. I do think we just need another defender and a winger, um, and anything else is a bonus. I'd be interested to see how Mulgrew and Graham work out. I feel that Graham's obviously a huge, huge part of this team, and I think a lot of people have a bit of worry about Mulgrew, about you know what happened at Dundee United and stuff like that, and how how it would work out. I, I, to be honest, it feels a bit like a Scott McDonald signing for me. You know, a guy who's maybe on the way down, got a bit to prove, going down a level. I, I think it could really, really be something that, that helps us out. And I think there'd be an interesting dynamic with Brian Graham on there. Do you agree with that, Heather? Where do you stand on the transfers at the moment? I think with you, Matt, in the sense of, I do think there's a player in Anton Dowds and he is is. We saw last season when he went on a run of goals, like his confidence grew, he was in and about it. And I agree with Reese as well about the fact that the training video just showed him finishing like all the time. And I was like, why can't he do that in the game? I wonder if potentially he just needs another like another star or two and just like a confidence boost. But can we risk it? I don't know. I actually criticised Adeloy a little bit on Saturday. I thought a few of the chances that he had they could have won the game and I felt that some of them he just didn't he didn't choose the correct option and um and maybe and that's I guess that's me doing like coming for him I just felt that for someone who is um coming in and really wanting to prove himself I think that would have put a bit more pressure on him getting a start for him to really gone out there and like you know won the game for us as much as we did obviously we lost the two goal lead and it was we didn't not have chances and I felt that there were a few times that we could have we could have snatched it back. But about the players, I do think it is I agree with Reese in the fact that I do I would like another defender, someone to be able to cover. Obviously Xander McKenzie not being available in the squad was was I actually do think that if he had been, I wonder if Dylan would have put him on. It's like what ifs now. But he had proved himself in that position and had been a good a good number two for Jack McMillan. And um, it did seem strange to kind of put like the, the way that the, those subs worked. But I do think a defender to be able to cover a few different positions, but also the fact that both Laz and Nielsen are still quite young and maybe need a uh, inspirational head in there, someone that they can someone they can copy. Because I mean we all have to remember that as much as I think I like Armour Head a lot. We have to remember his temperament as well. And maybe it's not always, like, I think it'd be good for them to have not just him to look up to in, in that sense as an older head in, in the defensive line. David, if we did sign Charlie Mulgrew, what player do you think would be inspired to leave their child in a car park? <laughs> Stevie Lawless, final answer. Uh, no, Heather, on your on your takes about doubts and... and uh, Adeloye. I think I've been a little bit harsh on Adeloy. I thought the the one that he, he hit his right foot across the goalkeeper and, and Dabrowski dived to his left. I thought it was actually a really good effort and a really good save. His header at the end was a wee bit weak, but he got it on target. I thought he looked lively. 
I, I do agree with you on Dowds though and Reese as well. I think I said it earlier, I think he was very unlucky that his goal at Tannadice was ruled out because that could have been the start of something. I think he is a good finisher. I think when he went on that little run, um lots of his finishes were really good first time finishes. I think he's a victim of the shape not suiting him. I think he needs a strike partner and he's he's never going to get that regularly here. Like we are a four three three, four two three one team. And, and the one guy's Brian Graham, and you'd think Adeloy's ahead of Dowd's in the pecking order now, so Dowd is never going to get a run in the team um, with a partner. So I, th- I think maybe he he could be, be looking elsewhere because I think Adeloy's ahead of him in the pecking order, as I said. David, we have huddled at quarter past 11 at night on, on Thursday to discuss today's two new signings, which will be squeezed into this week's podcast. We've got Wes McDonald, a winger, and Kieran Nguenya, a left-back on loan from Aberdeen. We'll start with Wes McDonald. What do you make of that signing? It's an interesting one. He's When you look at the stats, he's a bit deceptive on his Wikipedia because he's played quite a few games, but he's not got that many goals. But he, he is a winger. Um, I watched one or two... YouTube compilations and obviously pinch of salt, you know, YouTube compilations are always going to show you the best bits and they're going to show you the rest of the game. Um, one of them is named the next Neymar, which I quite enjoyed. Um, so we're winning the league. Um, but I think that he feels like an attempt to re- replace Tiffany. He, he really feels that he's in a Tiffany mode. He's a Tiffany region, to be honest. From what I can see, he's very tricky with the ball. He knows how to get past a man. Even though his goals aren't really that big, when you look at his like, tallies on Wikipedia, and obviously Wikipedia doesn't include cup games, etc. When you when you see the videos of him, he, he does come in with quite a few assists. And the play that he, he does, does look very similar to Tiffany. Obviously, if he's you know half the player that Tiffany is, that would be great. But from, from what limited information we have it looks like quite quite a tricky winger that I think could really be the, the missing piece in the puzzle to kind of get us back to where we were before. I was going to say I'm just looking at his transfer mark stats now we've spoken on the pod before about how you can di- basically disregard stats because if you looked at stats we wouldn't assign guys like Tiffany like we were, <laughs> if you just signed him based off his wiki stats before he came around you wouldn't assign him and he's averaging a goal involvement every six games which for a winger so I'd say maybe just about below average, but I think he sort of fits the mould of the player we've been looking for. I don't know where you're going to edit this chat into the episode, David, but either you're about to listen to it or you've just heard me say that I don't think we've got enough pace on the side if we want to hit teams in the counter. And I think this the signing of McDonald is going to help that. I think he looks like a, a quick player. He said in his interview he's a, a direct player. And I was encouraged in his interview that he said that he had a chat with the manager and the, the sort of direct attack and play suited him and that's what made him want to join Thistle so yeah I'm encouraged by that I think it's a, a good sign and it's an exciting sign it's always an exciting sign when you don't know too much about a player so yeah I'm, I'm enthused by that and he was also born one day after me so that's that's nice as well. That's good I was going to say like, it's an interesting point that you make about not knowing much about signings because we I think we kind of mooted a lot about what was Dylan's transfer strategy going to be Obviously, we've now got scouts both in Scotland and England and we're kind of going a bit further afield and stuff like that in there. 
quite a lot of the players, I mean, the players that came in on trial, like your Harrison Knees and stuff like that, there's quite a few players that have experience down south in England, and it looks like we are making a conscientious effort to kind of tap into that market. Obviously, there's good things and there's bad things about that. You know, there's players you can dig up that are absolute gems, but similarly, you know, under Archie, you know, there's an absolute litany of players that we signed from places like Crawley and things like that. They, they didn't work out. So it is a bit of a gamble, but it's an interesting one to see, especially after the last couple of years, to see us taking a different route in terms of transfers. Um, so, yeah, so no, I'm excited to see what it is. And again, there's just that mystery of you don't know what you're going to get. It might be absolutely brilliant. It might not. But, you know, at this, at this you know, embryonic stage, it's that sort of anticipation that you love. Yeah, I think you make an interesting point about the, the process as well. Obviously, transfers are judged by how the players you've signed perform. But I think the, the process looks good because, as you mentioned, we had players on trial. And we've, we've obviously left quite a bit of the business quite late in the window to just the, the week around when the, the league season starts. But I think that's good because we've had players in who have not panicked and just got anyone in that we can. We've waited and Dylan said he identified McDonald towards the end of last season as a target and he's waited to get him rather than just sign anyone he could at the start of the window on trial. I think in Gwenya said the same in one of his interviews that this has been talked about for about a month to move. So I think that's promising that we're identifying players that we want and not just signing anyone that we can because that sometimes ends up happening, especially when you leave your business a bit late in the window. So hopefully the, the results can match the process. We'll speak about Kieran and Gwenya next. David, he was not alive during the 9-11 terrorist attacks. How sick him is that? <laughs> oh, it's, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> uh, he is a left-back on loan from Aberdeen. Are we just expecting him to cover for Harry Milne or what do we expect from him in his time at Furhill? It's an interesting one because he's had some all right loans. I mean, he's he's really trailed upwards in terms of he was at Kelty in League Two, he was at Coven League One, um, you know, so two sort of title winning sides, and as well as that, he was in he was in Rafe Rovers' side last year. Now Rafe Rovers were the only team at the end of the season who didn't have anything to play for, but I mean he played like thirty odd games from last season. He was a, he was a fixture, and it's good to see a player who was a key component of a team in the championship last season coming in as a backup player, it's going to be incredibly hard to dislodge Harry Milne. Frankly, if he can dislodge Harry Milne, then oh my life, what a time we're in for. But it's 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 good to know that we've got that that cover there. Because I think with Nguenia coming in, we we pretty much have all the for me, all the positions. Well the only thing I say is a left a left minded centre back. Obviously, the Mulgrew rumours uh, continue to bubble about. He's not signed for a club yet, but it kind of feels like that would be the missing piece of the puzzle of you get him in, and I would be quite happy with that squad. So, yeah, I think it's going to be one of those where he's going to have a battle on his hands to try and dislodge Milne, but um, I'm excited to see what he does. And I think he's quite an impact sub, I believe. I think from reading up about him, he does like to come off the bench and stuff and try and make, make a bit of impact. And obviously we're talking about, you know, 30 games for Rafe Rovers last season. How much of that was a start? How much of that was subs? But at the same time, against Harry Milne, it's not, he's not going to be a starting left back off the bat. He's going to have to put some shift in to try and get that. So I'm excited to see what you have. But I'm 
it's it's sort of signing where I'm kind of, I understand where they've done it. He's around title winning sides. He's got a bit of success about him, so I'm hoping that he, he's kind of up to the job. Yeah, I I quite like having a a sort of natural left back as a replacement because I think last season we relied on Kevin Holt filling in there or maybe occasionally Lee Hodgson, but Holt that meant the whole back four get shifted about. So to have a, a natural left back coming in, I think is is a good thing so that the back four doesn't get dislodged too much. You mentioned he's an impact sub. I'm just looking through his stats for Wraith Rovers last season. He did have a good few 90 minutes uh, under his belt. He, he seemed to fall out of favour uh, around January, February time. But he did have a lot of 90 minutes under his belt. So I, th- I think it's as basically as high a calibre of, of backup as you could get for Harry Milne, realistically. And the question I wanted to ask you, David, was he's, he's been capped once by Malawi. Now, if he does get called up for a squad... Uh, while he's with us, will you be booking flights out there to, to see the Jags represented in the international stage? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, we, I, I love it when we get an international cap. Doesn't matter who it's for. I mean, we had two for Sierra Leone, obviously, Dubai and Kakai, and Quentin Jacobs is quite fondly remembered for being a Namibia cap. So, no, absolutely. I mean, I live next to Blanta. I don't actually live in Malawi, but I've got a lot of time from Malawi. And yeah, definitely, I'll, I'll, I'll be finding some hooky stream probably in Bet365 to see him lining up if it is the case. But it's another tab of Thistle Archive to delve into, so that'll be good. Absolutely. The Thistle Archive's picked a terrible time to go on holiday. Um, I, hope he's, I hope he slash they are enjoying themselves. Um, but what a terrible time they've picked to go on holiday. Anyway, David, we'll leave it there for this little segment. Um, thank you for joining me to include this in this week's episode. Um, I have a tea time in eight and a half hours, so I'm going to go to my bed now. And when I get in from that, I'm sure the podcast will be ready to go. So thank you. Yeah, I, I've literally finished a shift at work and then I'm going to go and I'm going to start editing this goddamn podcast. So um, yeah, I'll probably get my bed a bit. It was just about time for you setting off in the second hole. to Charlie Mulgrew signing a one-year deal with Livingston about 20 minutes before this podcast gets released later on in the week. That'll be good. Uh, no, I do agree with, with everything that's been, basically been said on the transfers. I think we need a centre-back. Uh, I would be quite happy if it was Mulgrew because I think he can cover a midfield as well. I've seen a few people say we need a hold midfielder. I don't think that'd be a priority for me because I was impressed with Stanway in the League Cup. I think he's, he's a real tenacious player. I think he could... Excuse me, he could be the sort of guy that comes on to shore things up in the midfield, even though he's a, he's a youngster. I think he's defensively really sound. To mark the 150th episode of Draw, Lose or Draw, earlier this week, David caught up with 1971 League Cup winner and Partick Thistle legend, Alec Ray. Now I'm joined by uh, Thistle legend, captain of the 1971 League Cup winning team, Alex Ray. Alex, how are you? 
I'm very well, thank you. After the trauma, of course. Of course, yeah. We had a bit of technical difficulties in terms of phoning you when, I, when for some reason your radio turned off when we phoned you, but. We'll, we'll start about the start of your career. Um, we came through at Renfrew Juniors. So talk That's about... Right, yes. It was Renfrew Juniors, first of all. I managed to get into the youth, the Glasgow Youth Club under-15s. And we played Renfrew in a friendly. And obviously I played all right. I signed for Renfrew Juniors. And then subsequently went on to East Fife, where I spent five very happy years part-time but towards the end they gave us full-time terms for the last year and as a consequence maybe of that wee bit extra sort of commitment and training I got transferred down to Berry. I was doing there just for the one season I think maybe about 10 grand was the fee paid. Uh, so what what was your did you have another job when you were at East Fife part-time what were you doing? Yes. I was uh, an apprentice colour printer, Commerce Street near Bridge Street uh, Subway. Uh, we then moved to Hillington Industrial Estate. And uh, so I believe the printing firm is still there. But obviously, when I went full time, that was the end of my printing career. So you were you were going to work in the day and then going, were you go, travelling through to Methyl to train or were they training in Glasgow or how did that work? No, I, tra- I, I trained. I trained with Renfrew Juniors. It seemed sensible that uh, I'm not going to travel. At the time, I'm not going to travel through to Fife for every training session. So uh, I continued to train with Renfrew Juniors. I only moved through to uh, Fife when my apprenticeship was finished and they had offered full-time terms. Right, okay. Um, and then I believe it is 1970, you, you joined Thistle with uh, David McParland, the, the new manager. What brought about the, the move to Thistle and how did you feel about it at the time? I need to go back just a wee bit. Barry, East Fife were to get another fee from Barry if once I had played 25 games. So I made 24 games. And the kind of writing was on the wall that they obviously didn't fancy me too much at that stage. So that's when I come back up to Scotland and there was a few teams interested in uh, signing me. But spoke to David McParland, uh, we agreed terms and he seemed the type of forward-thinking kind of new manager. So it ticked all the boxes. I believe you're signed at the same time as, uh, or around about the same time as Hugh Strachan, um, who obviously sadly passed away in May. What are your memories of Hugh? Hugh was, uh, well, it's very easy to sort of, to go over the top, but Hugh Strachan was an absolute gentleman, uh, a first-class professional who, without a question, he, he controlled and helped every player in the staff and for the time Hugh eventually gets set aside his football ability, David McParland got him involved in the coaching and Hugh for the entire period that would be probably maybe two or three years, uh, he would take the, the training sessions, he would do the warm up and he got a lot of stick for it but uh, in the entire time that uh, Huey was controlling the warm-ups, the training, 
for the entire time we didn't have a, a muscle problem within the Firhill first team at all. So it, it, it was routine, it was really boring at times, but the end product was we were all kept fit. And David McParland as a manager, what obviously this was his first gig. He'd been he'd been with Fissel for God knows how many years before and stepping into the managerial position. What was it like having such a young manager and what was David like as a person for you? Well, um he was a first class first class coach. Uh, ahead of his time without a doubt. And we would sort of play systems that um were to be, what's the term? We were the sort of forerunners in a lot of cases in terms of what Davy's training was about. Well, the very fact that when he took control of the managerial job, I think, um, I'm trying to think, I would be one of the oldest players, me and Hugh Strachan, in the team. Yeah. And around about that period, over a period, at least five or six of them were involved with Scotland at some stage of, of their career. The, the the players that he had, the youngsters, they would go on to get international caps and obviously there's a lot of that as in McParland because of the training he gave them when they were younger. No, absolutely. Um, absolutely, 100%. And I think you maybe say it clearer than I do. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, it's, a, it's a rare day when that happens, but um, there you go. <laughs> get yourself 10 out of 10. <laughs> We won the the second division title to get promoted. Obviously, went on to win the league cup in nineteen seventy one, but uh, against Celtic. But I mean, we, that wasn't the first time we'd beaten the old firm. I mean, I believe we beat Rangers on the opening day of the season that year and stuff like that. And um, how, what, what was it like at the time? Sort of, because I, I believe East Fife or East Fife still in the first division when you were there, or was this your first taste of like the first division? What was it like making that step up? Obviously, it was full time in England. With Barry, mm-hmm. but um, that was the first uh, full time period in Scotland. It definitely helped me in terms of longevity. I mean, the training installed, the first time training that David McFarlane um, introduced, I went on to play till I was about 38. Mm-hmm. So, in no small way, was uh, the instigation of proper full-time training regime, looking after yourself, was obviously a, a major factor in the length of the time I played football. On the 1971 Cup final, I mean, that Celtic squad was obviously, it was half of the Lisbon Lions and half of the, the old quality street gang from the 70s. It was a real mix of two eaters of some of the greatest players to ever play for Scotland. And they'd got to the European Cup final the year before. They were probably one of the best teams in Europe at the time. The, there's a the famous quote before about um uh, on the TV the Scottish Cup the Scottish League Cup final Celtic are playing Partick Thistle who have no chance. Did you know about that before you went out? Did you had you heard about any of that or? <laughs> well, we, the the usual routine was pretty much you would uh, you would have your meal maybe just about twelve o'clock a light meal. And then the routine was, I don't know what they called the sports programme at that time, but it was sports scene or something similar. And the the guy who was involved with the, the televised programme, 
he was a Scottish guy. I, I remember that, but I can't mind his name. But he definitely said that that Partick Thistle have no chance. <laughs> but you could easily say it was dirty stuff like that that we tried a wee bit harder. That that's nonsense. We had an extremely good young football team who on the day were just too much for Celtic, believe that or not. It's as simple as that. And uh, the the televised um, comment uh, didn't really impact, certainly not on me, but I, I can say with some certainty that everybody on the side uh, were revved up no matter what the television was going to say. The interesting thing was just walking into Hamden, Bobby Laurie, you maybe know this already, but Bobby Laurie uh, was a good pal of wee Macari. Mm-hmm. And the wee boy Macari said to Bobby as we walked in, never mind Bobby, you'll get a runners-up medal. That's exactly what he said to him. <laughs> so that didn't, that didn't go down too well with the troops. So no. obviously Bobby told the, gave us the info. I, I hope that uh, Bobby went over to them at the end of the game going never mind at least you get a runners up medal um, I hope so <laughs> I, I hope so but I, I really couldn't comment that I think you maybe said that a wee bit rougher than that <laughs> I, I, possibly yes in terms of, of the game you know for, you, you score in the first half you know 4-0 up at half time what, what's it like being 4-0 up against Celtic in the, league, in, in the cup final at Hamden I mean could could you just believe it? I mean, obviously there was obviously a wee bit of confidence from yourselves because you were a, were a very good team. But did you, did you honestly expect to go out there and steamroll them in the first half? Like, were you were you as shocked as so, we were? Well, we went out. Uh, we were confident in our ourselves, and we played a brand of football that wasn't based on defending and depth. We played the game going forward. Funny enough, another wee story. The day before the game, very light training, and Ronnie Glavin, Alan Ruff, Bobby Laurie and myself went for a, a light snack in the town. And we were just blathering away. Obviously, we are talking about the, the cup final the next day. Ronnie Glavin, he actually he says... Look, boys, you'll not believe this, but I had a dream last night that we actually beat the Celtic. And <laughs> sure enough, that's what happened. <laughs> and Ronnie played a major part. He was an outstanding uh, footballer. I, I, can, I can only imagine the, the reaction was, I had a dream we beat them. Um, and then <laughs> when, <laughs> when it set in, hold on, this may actually happen. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Ronnie actually said that to anybody else in the squad, but <laughs> no. obviously the three mates who were sitting around the table with him, we knew, but uh, we weren't uh, rash enough to say that to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can imagine the, the second half. Obviously, Celtic come out and they score and make it four one. At, at that I point, just, are you are you getting a bit nervous or are you still? No, no. Uh, we were in total control of the game and it was probably one of the few lapses in the game that resulted in a goal but there was no sort of back to the wall uh, defend, defend, defend uh, really, in fact, the start of the second half, Dennis McQueen he got the ball and Dennis was a kind of unique footballer that you never knew what he was going to do 
but he, he was comfortable with that and he got the ball and you're expecting to get a pass and he just, he just went forward and from maybe 25 yards he had a real stonker a, a strike and it just sailed over the bar and no more so that kind of set the tone again we have nothing to fear as long as we work hard be disciplined and don't be thinking about anything other than what's happening on the park at that minute in time when when the the final whistle goes, what what's it like to know that you're one of only two people to to lift um, a, a trophy as as part of Thistle captain to lift like, the Scottish Cup of the League Cup? What what's that like? Just getting towards the night in the minutes, you know that you're going to win, and I would be telling a lie if I didn't get a lot of joy the prospect of me going up and picking the the cup up and satisfying the Partick Thistle fans through over the years. I've suffered a lot of negativity, but whilst we were there, it was great to just uh, be someone who helped them get a real satisfaction of supporting the team and enjoying. Apparently, at the social club in Firhill, they were still at it the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I had uh I, there's some there's some good footage of him um, taking the cup to Farhill, trying to poke it out the sunroof right. and the bus and all that yeah. Uh, well, the other thing was that we arrived back at Farhill and nobody had the key for the for the front door. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how we eventually got in, but we did. <laughs> It's it's very it's very fissile, isn't it? We win we win the league cup. We we go back to celebrate, and somebody's left a key, and they can't get in. But the, the other the other thing as well I really liked about it is, um, can you remember the scoreline in our next game after we won the league cup? Oh, I remember. <laughs> is it seven two? Well, to, to be to be fair, we had two games. The first game was against Dundee. Uh, um, Dens Park, and it was nothing each. It was a good game, nothing each. Uh, the second game was Aberdeen, and that's the one you're referring to. And, uh, I can't really remember this one. And I don't really <laughs> like speaking about it. <laughs> I, I, that, that's absolutely fair. You, you've, you've earned the right to know what you speak about that, to be fair. <laughs> um, so a couple a couple other things just before we round off. Um, do you have a favourite goal that you scored for Thistle? The favourite goal of my entire football life, and that includes when I was playing Heedy football as a wee boy <laughs> in the back gardens, was the cup final one. <laughs> I, I, I but you're, you're never really going to beat it. It is, it is one of those things when you're playing, you know, Heedy ball in, in your garden as a kid, you're, you're pretending you're at Hamden. So actually, to score at Hamden must have just been. It's, it's every, every boy's dream, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. And uh, you can only appreciate that. When it happens, it just is, uh, I'll tell you, it was life-changing. Not just for a period. There are still, to this day, people stop me. My hair is a different colour than it used to be, but they still seem to recognise me. And they talk about Partick Thistle all the years ago. It's quite incredible. And it's opened many doors for me. Yeah, and I mean, even the fact that you're, you know, 51, 52 years on, uh, we're still um, talking still it. talking about it and you know, phoning you to ask you about it and stuff like that. Um, I can only imagine the amount of free drinks and stuff that you have been able to get, get over the years. Absolutely. I mean, I'm quite an out, 
going for a person and I, I just love coming through to Fair Hill because I've met an awful lot of good friends. We do the jag. He constantly sends me wee bits of information, photographs and all the rest of it. But it's just magic, the Partick Thistle fans uh, and the background staff who do all the wee jobs that uh, what you don't really know what they're doing, but their job is to get all the organisation for various things and just all the wee things that happen for a football team to be successfully sort of carried out the, all the wee jobs. Really, but a fantastic it's great. I love going through to Fair Hill. Sort of the, the honour that you have around Fair Hill for what you've done turning up. It must be absolutely magical. Um, do you have a favourite player from your time at Thistle that you played with? Well, Ronnie Glavin would be my pick if you forced me to pick one out. That, that doesn't uh, undermine any other player because it was a, a good bunch of players. Uh, but Ronnie, Ronnie could literally play anywhere, left foot, right foot. He actually was a good goalkeeper as well. You no, know, he would go and goal at training and I was very, very surprised when he went to Celtic that he didn't sort of reach the top with him. But there you go, that's another story. One wee thing, uh, we played against Rangers in the New New Year's Day. So we were taken down to somewhere in Loch Lomond and we had an overnight stay so that you're preparing properly and all the rest of it. And, uh, but Davey, or the boss, Davey McParland, he insisted that everybody was to get a sleeping pill. And uh, so you go through them. I, I went through the motions. And, but I'll tell you, the last thing I was ever taking was a sleeping pill. So it just went into the toilet. <laughs> but... Uh, he made sure the next day everybody okay, fine, that. Oh, that's that was good, boss. That's, I feel much better for that. A, a wee white liar, like you might call. Oh, one other thing I wanted to ask you just before you go. Um, am I right in saying that you trained with a Scotland team before the League Cup final? Well, we certainly trained with them doing at Largs, and we had a wee bounce game with them, and we won 2 nothing. <laughs> <laughs> And at that time, I mean, if you look at the, the Scotland team at the time, you know, in 1971, you know, you've got sort of, we know much like the Celtic team was, you know, sort of the back end of the Lisbon lines, you know, the start of the future generations. You've got, I mean, 71, you know, uh, Rangers in the Cup Winners' Cup uh, final as well. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that was an incredible team at the time, especially you consider the Scottish players going down to England and all that. So, um, obviously... Well, Bremner was the one that's... Uh... When I'm telling the story, the player that I remember most is Billy Bremner. He was, the, for me, the the leading light of the day, although you're correct. Uh, the other Rangers Celtic players who were involved, uh, that is a fact. But for me, Billy Bremner was the man. Um, definitely. Um, well, thanks again, Alex, uh, for, for coming on and having this chat. It was really great to speak to you, and thank you for everything you've done with Thistle. It's an absolute pleasure.
David, I will come to you first to have a look at the Airdrie game, and I'm obviously going to ask you what are you going to do in Airdrie on on Saturday. What's the what's the game plan there? Oh, it's a tough fucking scene, Matt. I'm not going to lie. Um, we <laughs> so um, there, there was a lot of buzz about this game. They were talking about it in months and stuff like that. And there's as far as I'm aware, everyone is getting the same train together. And going in and then immediately pissing off afterwards because there there's no pubs around Drum Gaelic. Um there's a pub in the stadium uh, which we've been into. I think we went into it before the Queen's Park game in the League Cup a couple of years ago. And it's a perfectly fine so you know, social club A bar sort of thing. I'm not going in there with hundreds of military fans though. Um we're not doing that. So God knows, um, I, I think I might be getting, I'm somehow getting on the train at Shettleston and going somewhere worse in the tree of everybody uh, on the way to the game. And then, yeah, going uh, away immediately afterwards because there's nothing there. I mean, the best part about Airdrie was off the hook, the fish and chip shop that they had, which was one of the best um, in the sort of central belt. And that's gone um, a month or two ago. I think it changed into a Chinese takeaway. So, um, no, there's, there's nothing there. It's 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 rubbish. But it's, it, yeah, it's not good. It's better than Cove. I got my dog from Airdrie, but other than that, yeah, shit at home. Um, Reese, I don't think we'll have any changes. Well, I don't think we'll want any changes to the starting eleven. But is the sort of pecking order in terms of substitutions changed for you on on Saturday? How are you expecting us to line up? How do you expect substitutions to go as the game progresses? Yeah, I think the, the team will be the same. Um, in terms of substitutions, like you say, I think Adelaide is always going to be like your first change or the, the guy that you kind of want on first, whether that be taking Graham off directly, but he'd be the one you're looking to, to maybe change a game. But in terms of like changes in the midfield, I think that Stanway will, will be brought on ahead of Alston. Um, well, I'd hope so anyway. Um, I know Stanway's obviously was at Airdrie last season, so he might know a thing or two about the team, how they like to play. Um, might have a, want a wee bit to prove as well. Um, just not, even though he had a good successful spell there and, and did did get game time, you always want to do well against a, a former club. So I think he'd be right up for it. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him brought on earlier. Um, as for the rest, it always it kind of depends on how the game's going. If we're chasing a lead or if you want to show it up this time, then I think you'd be a bit more sensible and a bit more. Uh, Looking to consolidate more than go all out attack because for me this game's got a got a feeling of impending doom coming over me when I think about this game because I do think Airdrie are a side on the rise. Um, the League Cup group kind of shows that they were they kind of flew through that group and they, they had a lot of really good results. I think they, they I think they won every game or they they failed they didn't they didn't lose at all. I think they beat they beat Inverness they beat Dundee so impressive results all round. Um, I think they lost in the opening day to Dunfermline, but they'll be right up for this. Their fans will be right up for this. And on our side, anyone that I've spoke to, like in terms of guys that I go to games with and stuff, majority of people I've spoke to are away on holiday or they're not going or they're busy. That just gives me this feeling like every seem right up for this, whereas we don't. So I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I hope we're, we're right in the mood for it. And, and fingers crossed we can, we can get a result over them because that'll be a big one. I'm glad you said impending doom first, Reese, because I think I'm I'm going to do uh, what David hates on this podcast. Uh, we'll we'll start with the predictions then, and I'll kick us off because I correctly predicted a two-two draw on Saturday. So I've jumped to the top of the predictions leaderboard, and, and Tom 
also predicted a draw, so he's up in second ahead of everybody else. I'm going to predict a 1-0 Airdrie win. And this does not set off panic bells for me after losing 1-0. I still think we'll be in and around playoffs this season, but this game has given me major Clyde away in the first game of League One vibes. This is like their cup final, basically. They've been waiting to play us in the league for... I know they had their games in COVID, but in front of fans for 10 years. And this is their cup final. They're going to be so up for it. It's their first home game after getting promoted. They'll probably have a, a an increased crowd. All the players will be up for it. And I, as you say, Reece, I've got major fear. So I'm going to predict Airdrie one Partick this on nil on on Saturday. But as I say, no panic bells yet. Heather, do you want to give us your thoughts on the game and give us a prediction? Yeah, I'd like to see their game on Saturday. So they obviously, they went 1-0 up and ended up losing 2-1. They conceded quite quickly after after going 1-0 up. I, I don't know why, but that sort of gave me some sort of confidence that maybe like after, like that maybe like their their heads go a little bit when they score or something. I'm, I'm probably just like pulling at straws there, but um, I agree. I think that they will be, they will they they will be buzzing. They'll have all their family and friends there. But sometimes that can almost add a bit too much pressure to it, and that they can maybe like overcook it. Maybe someone will get sent off. I think it might be quite a nasty game, but maybe that's purely from from like the way their fans interact on their social media. But I think I think this will be a really tough game. But I think that I've got such I've got confidence in Chris Doolin and. We need to believe in them because if, if Thistle fans are not believing in Thistle, then who is? So I'm going to go for a 2-1 win for Thistle. I admire optimism when you said it, it could be a nasty game in the red cards. All I can think about is Brian Graham, Aaron Muirhead, uh, Ben Williamson reacting to, to getting bammed up. And I, I don't see anything good. I hope I'm right. Kevin Keegan would love it, but you know, I, I can't I can't see anything good. Sorry, Matt, the fact that you didn't even mention Stuart Bannigan in there. And oh, he's no, he's a changed man. He's a nice man now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David, can you see anything good happening in Airdrie on Saturday? You could ask that any week and I'd say no, but um um yeah, I love the fact that um Stuart Bannigan is a change man. No, he's not. No, no, he's not. He's got um I I'm not looking forward to this game. Um, partly because Airdrie's not a great place to go. There's not really much to do. As well as that, I mean, like, Manpreet is not running a bus because they are there. There is a, a a genuine, you know, fear that they might pad the bus in. Right? That 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 is that has been talked about. About why they're not running a bus there. The you know the last time we played Airdrie at Fahill with all the daft scenes. I hate so much wee bams who are football fans who want to go and have a shot. I hate the ultras nonsense that we get in Scottish football. Um, it's not we aren't that sort of country. We don't play that sort of football. I hate the sort of macho chest puffing guys in Stone Island and those stupid jackets with the goggles that you put over the hood. With, you know, and um, you know, and blurring their photos out, their faces out in photos. I hate all of it. I think it's all fucking idiotic, uh, stupid football factory cosplay. And I will say right now, don't do it. If you're a fiscal fan, you know, think no, it's going to be a t-. Don't do it. It is not worth it. You'll get your head kicked in. And for what? For a game in the championship, 
that you know an airtree it's not not worth it and frankly it just it just makes you look incredibly pathetic but I'm I'm not the arbiter of these things, so you know what dickheads are going to be dickheads, and they're going to do it. Whether it's Airdrie fans or it's going to be dicks uh, who are fiscal fans as well, it's going to happen. Um, I won't be partaking in any of it. It's going to be a very tasty game. You know, there's going to be tackles flying in, Bannigan, Graham, Muirhead. It's going to be a total riot of a game. It's their cup final. But I, I'm, I'm going to predict a repeat of the, the 2013 game, 2-1. We're going to be 1-0 down, it's going in 80 minutes, and we're going to smash and grab a 2-1 win out of absolutely nowhere. And they're going to be absolutely foaming at the mouth as I get on the first bus back home. <laughs> I'll be first bus with you, David. I'll be uh, getting Reece the chopper of Saigon. <laughs> Reese, a prediction from you? I, um, <clears throat> like I said, it's... Not feeling the most confident about this one. Um, I look at Eldridge's team, and I know that the weekend there they had a they had a, a goalie from Celtic B on a one day loan playing for them. So, don't know what the situation there is if they'll have their goalie back or what. But to me, they still have a team for League One players, and that's that's not me saying that they're they're not good enough because often you see players from League One and they keep the bulkier squad and they'll go on and they'll do well. And I still feel that Eldridge are sort of riding the crest of a wave at the moment. Um, and we we're coming pretty early doors for them. See if this game was maybe match day eight or match day nine of the sea, of the the league campaign, then I'd be feeling probably a bit more confident. But it's early doors and it's the first home game, so yeah, they'll be ready to go and they'll be wanting to put on a show. And I think they might. I think it'll be a fast paced early start. Um, I think they might try and catch us like they caught Falkirk in the the playoffs, where I think they put five past them before half time. No saying that it'll be like that, but I think they'll they'll try and do the same thing. The only thing that I can see happening is was Siri putting the ball through his net. That's one thing. And as well, I, I can see Brian Graham. I remember Brian Graham saying in a, a direct quote in an interview saying, Erdry's a goal a game. So Brian Graham will get in the score sheet for us. Siri Williams will get in the score sheet for them. I think the other goal will come for them as well. So I'm going to say 2-1 Erdry. Oh, wow. This might be a first one of just multiple predictions of Thistle defeats. I think even we went to Ibrox, it was more positive than this. Uh, Heather, do you want to come back in? Well, just after what we said there, do you think there's any shout for Nielsen getting a start over with Siri at centre-back? I would be happy to see it. I, I wouldn't be against it. I, I think Waziri's been fine. I know he had the mistake at Tannadice. I think he wasn't convinced at Peterhead, but I thought he was fine at centre-back on, on Saturday. But I wouldn't be against it if if Nielsen's been impressed in tra- impressive in training. I would, yeah, I'd like to see him get a shot. No, I think on the, on the red card, Stuart, Stuart Bannigan won't get involved in shenanigans. I don't expect it to be like a straight red for a tackle. It'll be a straight red for like retaliating stupidly, and we have lots of people who will retaliate stupidly. Brian Graham might actually get sent off for elbow on somebody, but um, yeah, we it could be an eight man situation on on Saturday. I think that's very much in play. Uh, I, I'm not looking forward to it at all. We will finish with double partridge thistle this week to cheer everyone up after. Chucking a two-goal lead and predicting Partick Thistle defeats will cheer everybody up with everybody's favourite podcast segment, Partridge Thistle. First question: What is the wildest thing you believe about yourself? Do you know how you see all these uh, like YouGov surveys? It's like twenty percent of men think they could hold serve against Serena Williams, that sort of thing. So, what's the wildest thing you believe about yourself, Reese? I'm cut short again, but uh, something that wild that I think I could do probably. Do a better job as a striker for Party Fisher than Anton Dowds. Um, <laughs> I'm getting on. I actually don't know. I really don't know. I don't have an answer for this one. And that was obviously a joke because Anton Dowds is a 
a professional football player who's playing in the Scottish Championship and is obviously a very good player. I don't, I don't want to slaughter the guy anymore. Um, so, right, good luck, Anton, in your future endeavours. I hope you do well this season, wherever you end up. He's still contracted. There's not, absolutely no rumours of him leaving at all. Bye, good luck, wherever you go, Anton. Um, Heather, what's the wildest thing you believe about yourself? I went to some of my friends for some for, for some inspiration here because I, I was like, have I ever claimed anything or whatever? Like, And one of my friends said, I don't think I've ever gone anywhere with you and not met someone whom you share a mutual friend with. And I kind of semi agree. Like I, I just just the way that like life has has le- has been led. I do have a lot of friends in a lot of places. So I would go out and say one of the wildest things I believe in myself is I could go nearly most places in Scotland and at least know someone or have a mutual friend with someone there. Nice. That's that's a good one to have. Um, I don't really have one, but I, I was reminded when I come. Well, this has been a question in the, on the reserve list for a wee while, but I was reminded. Uh, David, you said you spend your time watching Deal or No Deal repeats. I spend my time interacting with chasers on Twitter, and uh, I, Dara Ennis, the menace, um, once said he could defeat a, a bald eagle in a fight, and I think that's absolutely crazy. Like he's obviously a very intelligent man, but how are you beating an eagle in a fight? Like it does, it doesn't make sense. How would you trap an eagle? An eagle just needs to swoop down you with its massive claws, and you've had it. How are you getting to punch or kick or maim an eagle? I, I would say Dana is a vampire, though. Um, he looks like a vampire on the chase. I think there's got to be some sort of vampiric power there that's giving him some some sort of thing against the eagle. But um, do you not think you could beat a bald eagle, Matt? No. <laughs> I do enjoy it. Like I'm absolutely fascinated by like what animal. What's like the the biggest animal you could beat in a fight? Will we chuck? Will we save that for another week? Or do we? Will we do triple partridge? No, I think we already done that. Surely, probably, probably. So I'm obsessed with questions. Yeah, I love I love what animals you could beat in a fight. I've got a, a animal cage fight scenario as well. We might uh, whip that out in case of emergency at some point in this season. Um, lots of partridge thistle reserves. David, we'll move on to question two because you, you've obviously got a big answer planned. Question two comes because yesterday, um, while I was gardening, I was using an electric hedge trimmer on the hedge. I went straight through the, the cable that was plugged in. I don't really know how lethal these things are. I had rubber gloves on, which I imagine helped. But question two is, have you accident? Have you ever accidentally nearly killed yourself? So, David, I don't know how you're going to merge that with what's the wildest thing you believe about yourself, but please give it a go. Well, I was thinking about this, and I routinely used to nearly you know, like try and kill myself when I was a kid because I used to, I'm, I'm a big wrestling fan, and we used to do backyard wrestling. It was at the time of, you know, the Hardy Boys and ladder matches and Shane McMahon jumping off things and all that. And we used to do some utterly ridiculous stunts, like jumping off of garage roofs onto each other. We'd set up giant contraptions to be like tables and stuff like that. We'd just bounce through them and powerbomb people off roofs onto trampolines and all that. Like, it is a miracle that I didn't act like critically injure myself at some point doing that. And I was I was going to say that uh, from that um, from my backyard past, I I have a belief that anyone can have a good wrestling match. I think it's just the the art is so subjective that anyone you could have one, I could have one, I could have a cracking one, regardless of physical skill um, or knowledge. If you're with the right person, 
you can be guided to a very, very good wrestling match. And I think I could have an absolutely cracking one. However, when you were talking about game shows there, I'm thinking I could get a quarter of a million on Millionaire quite easily. I don't, I don't oh. know if I'd win a million, but I think I could get one, two, five, two, fifty. Like we, we chat about game shows all the time, David. We need to have a, I, I'm still going to bang the drum for a breakaway pod where we can just do game shows and animals, right? But to, <laughs> to say you could comfortably win 125 or nine, I think I could so comfortably win wild, 125. Like, comfortably, like the questions are so niche. You just need one question. You burn through your lifelines, you're humped. I'm not saying you couldn't like six or seven times out of 10 win 125, but to say you could go on and comfortably do it is insane. What can I say? Especially, especially considering all my quiz performances um, exactly. on this board. Exactly. No, I think I could go on and win 125 grand. That would be that would be my that's my my minimum. I would say like that's oh, what wow. I would want. I that would be my minimum. Like um, it would have to be I'd have to be at 64 and just completely not know the question to not go for the 125. But that's the whole point. Like the questions are so niche, right? It, when when we get beat off Airdrie or when we get beat off Morton or sometime <laughs> this season, I'm going to watch a millionaire that where somebody gets to 125 grand and write all the questions down <laughs> and we'll ask you them on the pod and see if you can do it, right? We'll come, that's that's we'll good Mark content. We'll put Mark this and come back to it later. Right, that's uh, fine. <laughs> uh, Reese Heather, thanks for hanging about for this conversation. Do you have any, um, any incidents where you've nearly accidentally killed yourself? I think I, I mentioned this on a podcast before, maybe one in the single digit podcast way back in the day, but I think um, there was about four separate occasions when I was a wee guy, I almost killed myself eating those Campino sweets, you know how the wee white and red circular sweets, I remember being in the back of like, obviously my mum and dad's car, and all, like, almost choking on the hangs about three different times, having to pull over Heimlich maneuver me. So, uh, yeah, that was probably the reason they got discontinued. Uh, what else? I remember about twice as well. <laughs> it always seems to happen in a car. But I remember looking out the car window, like, heat fully outside the window, uh, and my mum closing the window with my heat stuck in the window. <laughs> so, uh, these two times have probably been near-death experiences, but apart from that, no, nothing else, no. <laughs> Heather, you got anything to add here? I suspect as a teacher, you've maybe seen some some near yeah. accidental things. I've, I've got a good one, but I don't. I'll tell you that maybe off air. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds terrible. Uh, no. So my brother, like my brother and sister, are a bit older than me. So like when I would play games with them and stuff like that, like I was just a bit um, of a nuisance. And there was one time that we were playing cricket or rounders or whatever um on our street and I walked too close behind my brother and Andrew like fully like whacked me over the head with a cricket bat and I and I like and I passed out and everything so that was like that that I like I mean that was just a stupid situation another time my sister was on a flying fox and I tried to outrun the flying fox instead of just moving one step out of the way. So um, again, that was a kind of near-death experience. But my biggest one really was, I know this is maybe um, not, not embarrassing, but like I went to a school that did CCF, so like the Combined Cadet Force, and we uh, and I was in the army, and we would do ob- we had to do an obstacle course at every single camp that we went to, and 
every single time I got like quite a substantial injury or like did something ridiculous and it really got to the stage I got to like fifth year and I literally said to my teachers like could could I just not do these like it's affecting my, my like my life and like my health like I can't like and I and then but they were like no no you like you have to do it it's part of it so there was one time when I jumped off an obstacle and like and like really thought like the end was not was near. I only I only damaged my Achilles tendon for like the next six weeks, so that was like a yeah it was rubbish. And then but there was one where literally no it, it was like a log thing and you had to run across logs and there was really really deep water underneath. And the guy like said he was like no one has ever fallen in this obstacle. And I was like, oh, cool, like, sounds great. And, and of course, the one person, and still to this day, apparently, they say it by button, only one person has fallen in here, and that's me. And it was the deepest, most disgusting water ever, because obviously they've never had to clean it because no one's fallen in it before. And um, my friends still talk about the way that I emerged from that. Like, I genuinely could have died, not just from, like, the, like hitting my head off a log and falling in, but also from... Uh, like how disgusting the water was so yeah I think I'm just a clumsy a clumsy person <laughs> that does sound like genuinely awful um David do you want to come back in I was going to say how have we got 150 episodes I don't know if I heard her telling us that she used to do the Gary Caldwell SAS training day <laughs> every year at school and we've not talked about this before but, not every um, year every week David every week every week Christ David, this is the sort of gold a sister podcast could unlock where we're not limited to just talking about stupid Scottish Championship football games. Uh, the Animals and Game Shows podcast. The other exactly. thing, I, I did enjoy the novelty of you saying, what, at what time have you ever nearly killed yourself the week before we go to Airdrie's first home game against us <laughs> in 10 years? Because uh, if you've done it next week, we'd, we'd all have an answer. Matt, I thought it was inspired from Barbie. You know, when she's like dancing and then she's like, do you ever think about dying? I assumed oh. it was from that since we basically are a Barbie podcast now. Oh, no. Oh, there's another thing I wanted to mention. The Partage Thistle last week when I was not here to monitor. Dr. Oppenheimer getting compared to Gary Caldwell was an absolute disgrace. That, like, nuclear weapons aside, that man was clever and succeeded in what he was trying to do to compare him with Gary Caldwell was not on I'm not happy about how that panned out last week I've said my piece now the, the, uh, nuclear weapons aside is an incredible <laughs> line it's up there with I'm glad that you mentioned Saddam Hussein David because um, in terms of my favourite lines that you, you, you've came up with in the podcast <laughs> well I've saved you the trouble of messaging me at like 10 to 4 on Thursday saying I want my call on this week's pod so there you go right we'll wrap it because we've done an hour now um, just before we do actually I want to shout out the From the Sublime fanzine it's run by Partick Thistle fan and friend of the show Ian Hepburn uh, it's issue one is out it is the second edition and if you've enjoyed my ramblings on about Scottish football pies and, and scran on Twitter I've, I've written something for that that you can find in there you can find several other good pieces on Taskmaster music comics if that's your thing uh, from the Sublime on Twitter and you can order issue one now but we will leave it there for this week now nothing else to report we will be back next week to look back on our doomed trip to Airdrie and then look ahead to the cup tie away at Tynecastle against Hearts in the meantime stay safe <laughs>